0: Welcome back. As we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk this week in the second part of chapter three, but I want to tie it back to what we talked about last time. In the first part of chapter three, Paul reveals that he has been made a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles in order to reveal a mystery to them. And we talked a lot about that mystery the mystery of God, the mystery of godliness. And that mystery is something that we have been looking for our whole life and didn't realize what it was. The Bible talks about the mystery being hidden. And I mentioned last week, I believe it's been hidden in plain sight. It's not been tucked away in a granite tomb somewhere in the Middle East. It's not a treasure you had to dig up in the desert. Um, It's very plain. It's talked about over and over again in the Bible. It's been revealed since the Garden of Eden, but it is so contrary to what we believe because of what we've been taught in this world. It's like we're staring at it, but we don't see it. I don't know if you all remember those pictures that got really popular for a while, more like a poster you'd hang on the wall that would just look like a bunch of jumbled, maybe some random pattern to it, but it was just kind of stuff on a big poster. But if you'd stare at it and actually shift your focus of your eyes either beyond what you were looking at or in front of what you were looking at, suddenly an image would appear. That had been there the whole time, but you couldn't see it because your focus was not at the right place. So the mystery of God is like that. It's right here, it's all around us. It's in our very being, being created in His image. The the heavens declare His glory. His invisible attributes are clearly seen through what has been made. So it's right here, but because our focus is off, we don't see that image that there that is there, that image of God. We don't see it in each other, we don't see it in what He's created. We give credit to evolution and random chance and big bangs and all that kind of stuff when it was God all along who was working his plan with great passion and commitment on his part. So in order to fulfill this plan, which is up to him, not us, He finally sent his son, which was always the plan, that one day his son would come and reveal the mystery that we had so much trouble seeing. But even in that day, people couldn't see the mystery of God in Christ. They thought he was a fraud and everything else. Paul himself, being one of those people that was a violent offender against the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he was set about in his passions To destroy the early church. Then one day he met God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. And that forever changed him because the mystery. You know, it talked about he went blind, but then scales fell off his eyes. I think scales fell off of his spiritual eyes as well that day. And he was able to see the plan of God being fulfilled in Christ. Now he had a lot to learn, and he spent time, we, we find out in scripture away for a while, learning this, being uh, taught by the Holy Spirit, how all the things that he learned as a Jewish man were pointing toward this one singular event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, to usher in the kingdom of God as he intended from the beginning, which was Christ in us. That's the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, it says in the book of Colossians. Now, I want to show you a little illustration I picked up a few years ago. I'm not sure who started it. I've seen more than one person share it. Uh, But it goes like this. When a person receives Christ, they become a child of God. And what happens at that very moment, they are a temple of God that's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And just like in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant times, when they built a tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem, they would cleanse that temple with the blood of a sacrifice. And once the, the temple was cleansed, God came and lived in that temple. He would show his presence there in the Holy of Holies. All right, so just like that, when you accept Christ, you are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And God. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. This is a little envelope. Okay, child of God, Holy Spirit going inside. All right? So now you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. And it's the Spirit of Christ who lives in you. All right? So Jesus comes to live inside of you by His Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. Right? and then the Bible says we are also placed in Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. So the child of God is now in the Son of God. And the Son of God, through the Holy Spirit, is in the child of God. So you are indwelt by God and dwelling in God. And the Bible also tells us in John 17 and other places that Jesus is in the Father. All right, so now we have the Son of God in God the Father. And where are you as a child of God? Well, you're two layers deep in God and filled with God. That is secure. You know, Jesus said, no one can pluck you out of my hand. And the Father who is greater than me, no one can ever pluck you out of the Father's hand. All right, so we are indwelt by God and dwelling in God as a child of God. That is the mystery. It's not, will I ever get it right and finally do all the right things so God will be happy with me and not... Not upset with me. No, the mystery is, and we'll talk about here in a minute how far reaching that is, but and hopefully every time we talk, it'll be about this. That Christ came to make you a new creature, to put himself in, and to put himself in you, to seal you in that new and holy condition. And then he protects you with a double layer of himself on the outside as you are filled with him on the inside. Now we will talk eventually about well, why do I still do things that doesn't look like I'm a child of God? Well, that's immaturity, and we need to grow up in Him, into Him who is the head, and reach full stature. But that doesn't make us a child of God. That reveals our relationship as a child of God as we mature. All right. So the profound difference between the two new co- the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And this not gonna take very long for me to share today, but I want you to think about this. The old covenant, God was distant. He was up on a mountain. He was in a temple. And you couldn't go in that, that room where he is unless you're the high priest. And you could go in, only go in there one day a year as long as you had blood from the sacrifice and you hadn't done anything stupid so God wouldn't kill you while you were in there. You know, they used to they said they used to tie a rope around the high priest's foot. So if he got in there and God was upset with him and he died, they could drag him out. cause nobody else wanted to go in there and get him. That was their concept of God. He was angry and scared, and he would kill you for almost nothing. And we all had something that we deserved to be killed for, and so God was distant. He was on the outside. He was scary. There was a quaking, smoking mountain when he came down, and he destroyed the Egyptians, and wow, you know, you got to look out for this guy. He will kill you. That distance for me it meant he really had more important things to do than me. Okay. And so he is distant. That was part of what the old covenant seemed to communicate. And yet all throughout the old Testament, we read that he's near to the brokenhearted. hearted. He's inviting us near. He was a friend of people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would talk to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So, From the very beginning, he's been showing us he wants us near. So it's not him holding us away. It's our sin that separated us away from him. And we would stay away from him and not trust him. Because we know God will trust him. If we don't trust him, it's because we don't know him. Now, for me, that distance, the way I was raised, meant he had more important things to do. And I wasn't on the to-do list that day. There's been a popular teaching going around that somehow or other God has big things to do and we're only valuable to God if we're helping him accomplish that big thing he wants to do. That big thing for a lot of people um, is the work of God on earth. But here's the deal. We are the work of God on earth. We're going to talk about here more of that in just a minute. But he doesn't have more important things to do than to mess with us. We are what he's doing. Okay, he's demanding. He just got stuff to do, and he wants us to get it done. But again, he's not demanding and distant. We're going to see what he is here in just a moment. Or how about this one? He's disappointed because he's demanding, and I don't ever measure up, and he's distant, always got something better to do. Uh, and I don't measure up, so he's just disappointed in me all the time. And that's pretty much the, the view that people who look at God through an old covenant perspective think of him as being distant, demanding, and disappointed almost all the time. But in Christ, the Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, We are made accepted in the Beloved. You know Hebrews 12 says, he corrects or scourges the son he receives. So we're accepted through Christ. We, don't, we aren't accepted through good works. We weren't saved through good works. We don't make ourselves acceptable through good works. It's a relationship. And becoming mature and growing up is what happens after we become acceptable to God through Christ, not what makes us acceptable to God. Our good works do not make us acceptable to God, either for salvation or in our current condition as his child, because that would say that the work of Christ was insufficient, inadequate to actually do what he came to do, and Christ finished what he came to do, All right? So the new covenant is not God on the outside. The new covenant, as we've seen, is God on the inside. He said, I'll put my spirit, I'll give you a new spirit and I will put my spirit in you. It says in Ezekiel chapter 36. So even in the Old Testament, he was telling us about this coming new covenant, new new agreement where he would dwell in us. He didn't want to dwell in a house in Jerusalem or a tent in the wilderness. He did for a while, showed his presence there. But we are the home he wants to live in, not just for a little while, but for all eternity. We are being built, Peter says, like living stones into a holy habitation for God. That has always been his plan. When he said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never separated, he intended for us to never be separated from them, from God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so instead of distant, he's actually close and by the way, you can't get any closer than in. You know, I could have a thorn right up against my hand here, and that's close, but if it goes in, it's even closer, all right? I can have, you know, a, a cinnamon roll sitting in front of me, and I can get really close to it, smelling it, and just, wow, that's, but if I eat the thing, and it goes in me, then it's, it's closer than sitting out here, and me smelling it, and looking at it, so the closeness of God, the nearness of God, the psalmist said, is the goodness that I would choose. Well, you can't get any nearer than inside. That's why the intimacy of a husband and wife becoming one physically is the picture the Bible uses to describe in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll see in a week or two the relationship Christ has with his church. It's a a complete oneness. You know, in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, it says, you'll call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean, God with us? I've heard some say, well, with, you know, we shouldn't even pray, God be with us. Well, Jesus said in John 14 and 16, those two chapters, that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll be with you and in you. And with is just as important as and. I've been in the presence of people. I've even been with my wife or in my wife's presence and she'll realize that I'm, I'm there. She and I are one, but I'm actually somewhere else in my mind. I'm not with her. Physically, I'm present, but I'm actually somewhere else. Well, God is never that way. When he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, he is not only in us, but he's also with us. Meaning he is always focused on us. He's never too busy. He's never distant. He's never disappointed or disgusted or any of those kind of things. He is absolutely riveted to us. I think that sometimes we feel that he's not because of human relationships we've had that were like that. Yeah, we were you know, married or that was my mom or my dad, but they were always kind of somewhere else. They never were actually interested or connecting with me. And so we feel that God's like that. Yeah, he, he saved me, but he's got bigger things to do. And I'm just sort of in the way most of the time. And I'm always disappointing him. But what if there's not a project out there? What if I actually am the project? That means he's always riveted. His attention is always riveted on me. Because human beings are the only thing that are going to last for eternity. The entirety of creation is going to melt with fervent heat and cease to exist at some point in the future except for you and me. Children of God are going to exist forever in his presence, and those who are not children of God will exist forever not in his presence. He promised, um, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. And never is a long time. This goes back, I believe, to something he, he illustrated in the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament times. When he cut the covenant with Abraham, Uh, Abraham went to sleep, and only God went through the pieces of the sacrifice and said, the Lord, do so to me and more if I don't fulfill my promise. Otherwise, I will divide my very nature, because they would cut the animals in half and walk between them. If I don't keep my promise to you, I will divide myself. And how would that happen? Well, if he puts the Holy Spirit in me, and the Father decides to leave me, But the Holy Spirit is the earnest of his promise, which he'll never break. I get to keep the Holy Spirit. Well, God's not going to break his promise. So there's no fear of God dividing his nature or his character or his being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he won't keep his promise to me. So his promises to you and me are secured by the very holiness of his nature and character that he will never lie and he will never break a promise. Those are the two unchangeable things he talks about in Hebrews. He can't lie, and he can never break a promise and alter the promise that he's made. Because it wasn't, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. It's just, this is what I'm going to do for you. And he did it when he put Christ in us. So he's close. Now, I'm trying to alliterate this. You know, instead of being distant, or excuse me, uh, demanding, he's collaborating. You know, instead of distant, he's close. Well, instead of um, demanding, he's collaborating with us. And what does that mean? You know, there's a lot of things he could just do and not mess with us at all. He could cause the birds that fly in the sky to form a formation that spells out the gospel for people to read. Um, He could cause, you know, flowers to grow that had the truth of, of, of the gospel written on their petals when they bloomed. There's all kinds of things God could have done, but what he chose to do was work with us, through us, and in us to establish this thing called the kingdom. And he's not going to leave us on our own. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, it says in the book of John, but I will come to you. He said, I, I know you're disappointed, you're sad because I said I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how did he do that? By the Holy Spirit. He put himself, He right after the resurrection, people began to believe we see in Acts chapter, first couple of chapters, that the Holy Spirit came on people like cloven tongues of fire. And that was the inauguration of the part of the new covenant that is so different than the old. The old was God on the outside. The new covenant is God on the inside. And when you receive Christ as Savior, when you believe in him, it says in John 1, 12, Christ comes to live inside of you forever. All right, so he indwells you, and not so that you and he can go do a project. You are the project. <laughs> I am the project. I'm what he's working on. You're what he's working on. The rest of it's temporal. Yeah, I used to be a building contractor, and at times we would build forms for concrete or scaffolding uh, to work up high or whatever. But those weren't permanent structures. They were just there to help us finished the real project, which was the house or the building we were building or the the slab we were pouring or whatever, the, the, the foundations and stem walls. Okay, so there were temporary structures that had no lasting significance. Well, all of creation in the physical realm, if you will, is just temporary structures built to help him communicate with us his overall purpose for you and me. But someday the forms and the scaffolding will no longer be needed. And he's just going to burn it up with fervent heat. But you and I will last for eternity because we are the project. You know, I grew up in the family that loved to, to do projects. I don't care if it was a fishing trip or a camping trip or paint the bedroom or whatever, you know, break the leaves in the yard. And if as a kid, I was more in the way and more trouble than I was worth, I was kind of told to go away, go do something else, because you're just in the way, because we have a project to get done here. And what I learned out of that, whether my parents intended to teach me that or not, I don't believe they did. But what I I felt I learned out of that, I found out years later, was the project was important. And I was only important to my parents if I was there to if I could help them complete this project, whatever it was. And a lot of people see God as being that way, that um, God's got some big thing he's doing, and you need to get on board with it or get out of the way. Okay, you're either helping me or hurting me here. And if you're not helping me, just get out of the way. And the word I hear a lot is the kingdom of God. God is building his kingdom like it's some entity in and of itself. Well, it's not. (laughs) The kingdom of God is within you. You are the kingdom of God. If God is building his kingdom, that means he's building you. And the only part that we play in that is by faith getting to know him so that as we know him, we trust him more and his nature and character is displayed through us by obedience. It doesn't make us the project or make us valuable. That's just the completion of the project. You know, Philippians 1.6 says, He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Like living stones, we are being built into a holy habitation for God. The kingdom of God, God is not some big machine he's feeding people to to get it built. We are the kingdom of God. It's not the church on the corner. It's not some organization. It's not some worldwide evangelism program that he cares about. And if you can't be part of it, Get out of the way. No, you are the project. I am the project. Because he doesn't put his spirit to dwell eternally in a building on the corner or an organization that has a paper file, but the state of wherever you live, Oklahoma, where we live, or any other state. It's not a government entity. It's not uh, something with bylaws and a board of directors. The kingdom of God is you and me. And that is the only thing he is eternally, passionately forever committed to. And he proved it when he sent Jesus, his son, to die. Because he has great love for you and me. And love he has poured, he literally poured out his life to build this kingdom of you and me. That is the mystery that was hidden but has now been revealed to the saints and the apostles, the Bible says. And what does that mean? Well, um, all right, so he's, he's close to us. He's collaborating with us. To what? He's teaching us to trust him so that his image is revealed more through us as we grow up into him who is the head it talks about. And we reach the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ well, how does that, what does that mean? Well, is God then disappointed in us like the old covenant, because we're not there yet? No, no, no. He is celebrating it every step of the way. You know, as we have children that grow up, if we have a ball team, and you take some new guy or gal on the ball team, or the track team, or whatever team, and they, they, they got some talent, but they don't know what to do with it, and And we nurture them and we train them and we discipline them and we teach them and all that stuff. And discipline, by the way, means only to train, doesn't mean to punish. All right, so we train that individual or our child to reach their full potential. And as they reach those milestones, we celebrate that. Yeah, they just won the the 50-yard dash in sixth grade. Well, that... That child may be the one who wins the Olympics someday and sets a world record for the 100 meter. Okay, but right now, not so much. But they're a lot better than they were. They're not near what they're going to be as far as their ability to perform. So we're helping them and we're celebrating them along the way. And that's the Father's heart. That's the Father's heart towards you and me. He celebrates us along the way, yet... He also realizes we have a ways to go when it comes to trusting him so much that in any given moment, his father, not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus displayed that for us. That is ultimate faith and maturity. That even though he had a holy will, Jesus didn't have an unholy will. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He trusted his father so much. And what What happened as a result of that, that he went to the cross on our behalf? He says he was given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess to the glory of God the Father, All right? So where we're headed is to the maturity point where at every given moment of every day throughout all eternity is not my will, it's your will. Why? Because his will is right. You know, will it become natural to us to do that? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe at times doing the will of God seemed natural to me. Sometimes it seemed contrary to things fight, you know, emotions and the world system and old belief systems and that kind of stuff get wadded up in there. But I can still choose because of the new person that I am and the dwelling Holy Spirit. As I get to know my father and trust him more, I can still choose to do what he wants to do and say what he wants to say in this moment rather than what I feel like doing and saying. So it's learning to trust him and live out his will. That's conformity to Christ, as I call it, conformity to Christ in real time. So that in this moment, you see Christ's life being lived through the surrender of my will to his will as I yield and defer uh, what I think is best in the moment to what he says is best in the moment. And by the way, he will always say and do only that which is consistent with his nature and character. So if I'm doing something out of nature and out of character with God, if it's contrary to his nature and character, then I am not doing the will of God. Some people are teaching nowadays that whatever you do because you're a child of God is God's will. That's not true. Um, God has a specific will, and just like the Son taught us, we should say not my will, but your will be done. And I'm going to finish up with this last thing. Under the Covenant that God cut with Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. That word reckoned is an accounting term that simply means you take an account of something, you do an audit of the books, and this is how much money is there. Okay, so when God audited Abraham's books, the bottom line was righteousness. Okay, that's, the Bible says that's the kind of covenant the new covenant is. He looks at us, and he doesn't say, well, I know you're unrighteous, but I'm going to act like you're righteous anyway. He would be lying if he said that, and God will not bear false witness. So when he sees you and I with faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, he looks to the bottom line, and the bottom line is righteous. Not pretend to be righteous, not maybe righteous someday, it's righteous right now. Second Corinthians 5, I believe, 21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, as hard as that may feel like you can even believe that, the Bible says if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are the very righteousness of God. Not kind of, sort of, not, well, Jesus is righteous and so he stands in front of me so God can't see the unrighteous person that I am. He says, no, I make you the righteousness of God. It's a gift. It's something I put in you and I cleaned you up and I put myself in you and I wrapped you up in me. And that is the current condition that you are in and will never fall from that. Now, you have some growing to do and I have some growing to do to grow up into stature, the stature of Christ, the Bible says, and we'll get to that later in Ephesians 5. So this righteousness is like when you're born again. It's just like when you were born a human. You couldn't do a lot of human things other than just lay there and be human, but you are doing stuff that we needed to teach you how to do differently. And you didn't become human when you learned how to walk or talk or use a knife and a fork instead of your fingers. That's something you learned how to do because you were human. It didn't make you human. Well, when you got born again, you became a child of God. Now we're learning how to do those things that children of God do, but those things we learn how to do don't make us a child of God. They express the fact that we're a child of God. And so every day we can take hope and realize that God is close to us, He's so near, He's inside. He's collaborating with us. He's working with us. He's wooing us into that position of faith where we'll walk out that that obedience out of trust in him. And he's celebrating that because we are righteous before him. And he is excited about our growth and he won't give up on us. None of you will be God's first failure if you're a child of God. You will not be the one that he tried to bring you to maturity and just couldn't get there. Because that would make us responsible for the end result we're not responsible for the end result but we are responsible with what we've been given and if we don't utilize it if we kind of leave, leave, leave it to the side if he shows us we can trust him we choose not to trust him then we get to do that lesson all over again we get to think about it again we get to come up against that problem again and eventually we'll get to the place as god's child where we trust him even in those situations, it seems so hard. Well, this is just a glorious thing, this mystery of God that he's revealed to us through Christ. And I'm excited to be able to share that with you, but I'm even more excited to learn it a little better every day myself, just to learn to relax. He said, I'll give you rest, you know, coming to me, I'll give you rest. And learn to trust him, not squirm around and fight against what he's doing, even if it's difficulty. if if there's a difficulty I'm going through. Just learn to trust him and then let his words come out of my mouth and his actions be displayed by my actions. God bless you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have completed all things in Christ and that what you started in us, you will complete. Thank you that you're not distant, that you're not discouraged, disappointed or any of those things in us. But through Christ, you're close, you've made us clean, you have indwelt us, you're celebrating us every day in our growth, and you are training us to even greater heights of trust and faith and obedience. And in the end, it's all because you made us righteous by your work through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.